Oh, man, Veronica, guess what? What? Okay, well, you know how, like, in the 90s, they in the 2000s, they kept trying to, like, make movies out of SNL sketches, and then they uh-huh. kind of stopped because it almost never worked? Uh-huh. Well, guess what? They come up with something way better. Now they're going to make movie adaptations of five-minute chunks from podcasts. <gasps> yeah! Yeah, and they want to make a movie out of that part where we say our names at the beginning of episodes. Oh, my God. That is the best part. That is so exciting. Awesome. So, yeah, we just need to, like, you know, stretch that out to about 90 minutes, find some, like, character development, like a story and whatnot. But I'm sure it'll be great. I mean, how hard can that be? Extend a very small chunk of a thing into a very long thing? I mean, easy. It's easy. Uh, uh, we say our names. That's the introduction of the characters. And then, you know, I don't know. Our names are our names. And then in Act 2, our names have a fight or something. This is simple. All right. Should we just get started? Yeah, let's knock out the podcast. And then we are going to get to work. Veronica and John. Veronica and John. Doing a podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Toot <laughs> toot. Wow. Uh, <laughs> wow, it seems like yeah. you really put on your, you know, cold uh, opening sleeve your opinion about this movie. <laughs> not necessarily. Not All necessarily. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hi, I'm John. <laughs> this, I'm is the, this is the great part we're adapting. <laughs> yes. And this is, is Box part. Office Time Machine. Yep. The <laughs> show where we... Talk about the number one movie at the box office, either from a current weekend or a weekend some amount of years in the past. This year, 30 years in the past. What are we talking about? Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Party time. Excellent. I could do this all night. Yeah, go for it. We got to fill 90 minutes for that movie. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Radica, what's your history with Wayne's World? Um. Well, I... I've seen it as a kid. I then saw it in high school, and then I have not seen it until earlier today. Uh, and I would say that uh, I think I remembered the second one better than I remember this one, now that mm-hmm. I think of it. Uh, so I feel like maybe mo- mo- like more of my emotional history is tied to the second one for some reason. But I have fond memories of it. I went back... To my letterbox and I saw that when I was like ranking furiously every movie that I've ever seen, I gave it four stars. And I was like, yeah, uh-huh. sure. That, that's fine. <laughs> I'll allow it. Uh, I definitely saw this at some point when I was very young. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved watching, you know, uh, SNL reruns on TV. 
uh, growing up, and I I was a big fan of the old Austin Powers movies. I was right in the age range for that. So I did a little circling back to some Mike Miles or earlier films. Mm-hmm. Watched So I Married an Axe Murderer. Oof, that uh, movie. Not a fan. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've re. I loved it when I saw it on Comedy Central at probably age ten. I rewatched that a few years ago. Uh, did very little for me. Yeah. Around the same time, I watched the first Wayne's World, and I I never watched the second one because I I found this movie a little boring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I might have been too young for it at the time, and I think it's very possible. That there is a a time when I would have been right in line, not too young, not too old, right in line for this movie. Uh, I think that day might have happened maybe in like 2002. (laughs) Um, But (laughs) right now, I'm going to be honest, I don't really like this movie. Aww. I mean, I think that's fair. I think as I was watching it, I was like... I can see how this would be annoying. I can see how if I was actually like looking at it with a critical eye, which I think I'd like tried avoiding doing. I was trying to kind of remember what it was about it that I liked. Uh, but I think if I were or if I had no like if this was a cold watch that I was just watching for the first time, I would be like, this is nonsense. <laughs> and I mean, there's still like parts of it that I would be like, yeah, this is kind of like lazy comedy and much of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I have fondness for some of the bits in it. And I was like, yeah, this is cute. I feel like especially if we're grading it on an SNL movie adaptation curve, I think this is definitely going to be in like the 99th percentile. <laughs> so... Yeah, I that's certainly fair. I mean, the thing is, like, I'm not going to come out here and be like, oh, it's lazy comedy, because that's not really what I feel. I think this is a, an interesting case where I totally get why this was a hit. And this was a massive hit. This was obviously number one, because we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. This was a 10th highest grossing movie for the year. But also, it got a lot of solid critical reviews. Um, and I get that watching this. I think my issue with it is that this style of comedy, while it was fairly new at the time, I guess kind of, not really, I don't know. This type of movie has been made so much better so many times in the years since. I think by some of the same people who made this, um, I've never seen Wayne's World 2, like I said, but I did see the Austin Powers movies. And while... I think uh, Mike Myers was so ubiquitous um, that his style of comedy kind of got grating, as as stuff like that always does. I get why it was uh, beloved at the time, and mm-hmm. I would rather take the Austin Powers version. I rewatched Austin Powers during the pandemic, uh, the first one, and it's great. Oh, I like this the one first is two. not great. Yeah, I like. I I think I bet he. I bet. You know what it is? Okay. I'm watching this and I'm ready for all these silly jokes, you know, all the fourth wall breaking, talking to camera, playing with the um, uh, uh, conventions of filmmaking. And like, that's the stuff I remembered. What I didn't remember was that in between each one of those jokes, there's like three straight minutes of dead air. 
that'll just be like <laughs> characters walking around Wisconsin, like with like just you mean Illinois. Right? This is the sleepiest, Ill- wherever the fuck. <laughs> hey, we might have Midwestern listeners. Illinois, and they would. You're care. right. Sorry, sorry. I'm Aurora, Illinois. I'm sorry. I I which some characters from Wisconsin. I don't know. Um, oh, <laughs> you know what it was? Could it, be from Wisconsin. Sure. No, you know what it did remind me of? That's why I said Wisconsin. It reminded me of the very, like, uh, Wisconsin style of humor of, like, the early seasons of Mystery Science Theater 3000 that I've been watching. Mm -hmm. And there's just kind of, like, a genial sleepiness to it where they're just, like, where there just aren't, (laughs) aren't, like, jokes for long periods of time. Um, I wrote down, like, at the beginning of a few... uh, um, Okay, well, I did. I timed it. Um, uh, the first appearance of the of any conflict in the movie, um, forty seven minutes in. <laughs> what What is the first conflict? Is it like Wayne not wanting to do the promotion? Forty seven minutes is, is when we first hear that Wayne doesn't want to do the promotion. He do, we don't even hear it from him. We hear it from uh, Russell telling Benjamin. That That's Wayne true. doesn't want to do it because they had a conversation off camera. Up until that point, and really through the end, I don't know if this is like just time passing or something, but Rob Lowe does nothing negative for, I would say, 99.9% of this movie. And yet yeah. he's the villain. Like That is true because I remembered like, him as a I villain. I don't and think I this like, is the kind of like getting older and like looking back at like youthful I- idealism movies about like selling out and being like, get over it, dude. Like the things that they want them to do to the change the show are so limited and reasonable. <laughs> yeah, well, that is kind of, yeah, I think like I was watching it remembering that Rob Lowe is the bad guy and I knew how he's bad, like. <laughs> That he's, like, trying to, like, hit on Cassandra and all that. But, like, that didn't happen for a very long time. I kept waiting for it to happen. And then it was, like, oh, he has books about how to hit on women. And, like, he learned Chinese. Yeah. The the weird runner about people learning Cantonese to speak to um, uh, Cassandra was fun. But, um, and... I get like that's the kind of conflict of like even that they both like you'd think that'd be a thing where like oh my god he learned Cantonese holy shit how can Wayne compete with this guy but it's like Wayne also learned Cantonese yeah that was the joke earlier in the movie there's just no every time I expected a character to be like like every time I expected the shoe to drop of what evil plan Rob Lowe had it never came it's just like oh Rob Lowe is a yuppie um he wants to make money and his thing is that he's super flattering to people in a way that's clearly not a a a way that's a bit phony Mm -hmm. but I don't know a dude who helps people achieve their dreams why while being friendlier seeming than he actually is well, I think this is also, bad. and I would be kind of, I would be into talking about this more, but like the idea of like, this movie is, was already kind of 
old when it got released. So, like, this movie talks about, like, the sort of heavy metal aesthetic that, like, by early 92 was kind of out the door. It was, like, that's mm. kind of the thing that sort of, like, grunge basically obliterated, like, you know, Smells Like Teen Spirit comes out in September of 91, and the whole, like, metal aesthetic is kind of becomes kind of a joke overnight if it wasn't even by that point already a joke. And so while I realized that obviously, like, these characters are from before that time and that movie was probably in production before, you know, you know, Nevermind came out, but it still feels outdated in terms of, like... Uh, yeah, just like it's aesthetic and what a school. Like this movie at no point makes fun of like metal fans or in any way. It like kind of like does treat them as like the coolest kids in town. Whereas like in 92, they would probably not have been that. Uh, they probably would not have been that earlier because um, uh, I forget the name of the director, Penelope Spheres. She directed Decline of Western Civilization 2, which was already an amazing parody of the LA metal scene in like 85. And like, but yeah. it was basically like a live action spinal tap. And, but so to make a movie in 92 where the, the cool hip heroes are heavy metal dudes when like there's a whole new like basically a musical revolution happening outside your window is i don't know it's kind of interesting to me uh i guess I, and i was kind of watching it and waiting for it to kind of comment on metal being mm -hmm. silly which is kind of i love like hair metal but i love it because of like how silly and ostentatious it is and i feel like at no point did that movie actually like, they could have been into any music, and it would have been the same movie. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing about this movie that directly comments on that culture, in my opinion, like, at all. Well, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting thing where this is, you know, uh, uh, I remember, um, you know, back in the day, and all, all these characters are a little before my time, but I was aware during their, you know, while they were huge, um, you know, that people were always comparing uh, Wayne and Garth, uh, Bill and Ted, and Beavis and Butthead. And Beavis and Butthead are clearly satiric constructions. Right. Um, they are clearly being mocked. Bill and Ted also, for the most part, are, like, in those movies... Those those dudes are the joke. A lot of the jokes, while they're loving jokes, are at those guys' expense. At no point, like you said, does this feel like these guys are being like satirized. This feels much more like, um, like the the team that wrote this wrote a love letter to their friends growing up. Like it feels so like it it feels so much like okay, let's give. <laughs> you'll have this like camera uh, uh fourth wall breaking joke where they see karate guys and then it feels like they're like okay and now for like a few minutes let's just show what it was like like growing up in my hometown and you know <laughs> like we played street hockey all the time like there's no joke in the street hockey scene like i thought they were gonna yell well car there's more lara more, flynn boyle but they barely do 
Yes, the Stacy character. The Stacy character. I felt um, bad for Stacy. Well, my my so uh, uh, my friend Caitlin Bitsagai used to do a comedy stage show uh, where she uh, uh, parodied a bunch of um, t- uh, terrible female characters in uh, movies and TV shows, pri- primarily those that were depicted as like the bad woman. <laughs> um and criticizing how they were depicting it was a very fun show and she had a very fun bit about stacy from the wayne's world movie mm-hmm. um and uh really skewered the writing of that character but i gotta say laura flynn boyle might be giving the best comedic performance of this entire movie by about <laughs> 300 degrees 300 percent it's it like i i don't know i just found this movie so sleepy and a little dull okay so like one example is at the beginning i wrote down when they go to the club and garth can't get past the big guy as they're trying to walk through all the other uh patrons of the club mm-hmm. very funny i've been there trying to get through people in a crowded bar or club funny garth goes out opens up his van and we play a parody of the mission impossible theme while he's putting together putting together some gadgets Okay, funny. We're going to do an absurd heightening of this. And then he just kind of shocks the guy and they go go on and he flips his thing around and it's the footage is sped up. And I'm just like, oh, I I don't know. I thought we were going to do like a whole spy thing or something. (laughs) And that's just the way I felt like like every time, like every joke that happened, I was like, oh, that's the beginning of a funny joke. And then it's just, oh, I I guess we're, we're done with that joke. Time to go. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Uh, I also like. I don't think I remembered that Garth is like an like an like a science nerd because like there are a few times in the movie where he's supposed to like you know mm. gadget his way out of or like their way out of a predicament. But uh, yeah, I and I was like, is that really? I thought he was kind of dumb. <laughs> like that, at least like that was my like memory of his character. But maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, I prefer that to him just being dumb, but that was like a thing that I definitely did not remember. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know if this matches, uh, um, the canon of every sketch. Okay. Um, but I think there's probably with stuff about him having weird gadgets because weird gadgets were very popular in comedy at the time. Um, you know, Carrot Top was about to burst on the screen and, and blow up weird gadgets. Carrot Top, the nevermind of comedy. I already mentioned this was the period. <laughs> yes, yep, yep. Oh, man. Oh, man. Do you know, did you hear about the lawsuit about the naked uh, baby on the cover of uh, Carrot Top's first stand-up album? Oh, of course. I mean, it had yeah. that very red bush, so I can see why there was a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, baby. Uh, Well, I guess to get back to your point about sort of like, I guess, kind of like the genial nature of things and how like things sometimes you're like, why are we sort of doing this? I wonder if it also has to do with like the two co-writers of this are Bonnie Tyler. No, not Bonnie Tyler. Yes. Yes. No, oh yeah, Bonnie is, Turner and Terry Turner, who oh, created sorry, yeah. uh, not Bonnie Tyler. Though that would have been cool. Uh, they created that '70s show, and I feel like the thing with that '70s show is that like 
it was kind of that. It was sort of like, we're going to kind of show you what it's like to be in the 70s, but also not really. Like, they're basically going to do the same stuff you would do if you were watching it in the 90s, but it would be set in the 70s, and wouldn't that be cool? And I feel like this is sort of like kind of a similar problem where it's like, okay, well, these guys are going to be of a specific thing, but we're not going to actually, like, do anything that has to do with them being that. So, like, these guys are going to be, like, these heavy metalers, but they're not going to they're not gonna actually, like, do much that is specifically of that subculture, I guess. It's, it's not... It's not my complaint that they didn't, um, like, really fucking take heavy metal down a peg. Oh, no, that's <laughs> not really time. my complaint either. No, 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 it no, just no. feels yeah, like a it. missed opportunity. You, you thought know? it was surface level. But yeah. then again, those the, that, that team, they're also the uh, writers of the Brady Bunch movie, which oh. I, think ex- I think does that excellently well. I've never seen um, it. Excellent. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, well, they're one of many writers that are things. And then they also did, I can't remember. I didn't see Coneheads. I, I saw Coneheads as a child. I remember well, I enjoying it. I think they also did Third Rock from nine. the Sun, which is a show that I like. And it's very specific. <laughs> that yeah, show. It's more, it's an, I, I think they nail the specificity because it really does feel like this is just like a love letter to to dudes like to like what it's like to hang out in a small town and that stuff works but the stuff that's memorable is the kind of more surreal jokes and there's just such a gap between them it kind of reminds me of um uh the first adams family movie from the 90s around the same Mm -hmm. time period which is i still think good i think much better than this film but you compare it to the second one, where the second one just has like funny wordplay after funny wordplay, visual gag, wordplay. Every single few seconds, there's a new good joke. And this movie feels like it wants to be that. And I wonder if the second one, which I know is also pretty well regarded, might be more like that. Where, you know, like when um uh, uh i i wrote down a part a really dumb simple visual joke that made me laugh garth garth's dog walks in first off it's lassie but with a heavy metal haircut <laughs> made me laugh and then they just do a quick parody of lassie um that's just a fun funny parody of lassie and move on i just expected more the joke pace to be faster mm-hmm. and i it's entire i will say it is entirely possible that i missed 40% of the pop culture references in this movie <laughs> because like like you know I'm I'm seeing this stuff and I'm like right okay Laverne and Shirley opening credits that's you know decades before a decade before I was born but sure okay but I can recognize what that is um the Grey Poupon ad I'm just old enough to re- remember that that is a thing not really a joke there they just kind of do it and I bet there are more jokes like that that just you know, I was five, uh, <laughs> four when this movie was being written. Um, it's a lot of pop culture parodies. I'm You and I might have just missed a lot. No, that's true. I mean, the jokes that hit, I, I think I, I really like. I think they have like a ton of like good stuff in here. It's just that, yeah, it, like the pacing is odd. Also, mm-hmm. like, yeah, just the choices, like at the point when they parody Laverne and Shirley, Laverne and Shirley has been out for 20 years or like <laughs> it, it, like it's been done for 20 years. So I guess it's sort of that thing where like you sort of like specific decades get obsessed with like 
decades that are 20 years before them. So maybe Laverne and Shirley had like, you know, a resurrected appreciation in the early 90s that we're not aware of. But it felt because I also remembered that there was a Laverne and Shirley joke early on in Friends. So I wonder if it was one of those things where in the early 90s, Laverne and Shirley was like, you know, the golden girls La- of like Shirley. our high school times or our college days. You know, Laverne and Shirley was a great show that I've never seen. But yeah. I know it's very well. But then it's also, I mean, maybe it's the fact that at the time, um, uh, uh, what's her name's a- a directing career was blowing up. Oh, Penny so maybe, Marshall. Yeah, maybe, maybe Penny Marshall was was really in the news. But <laughs> I like seriously though, like I said earlier, like um, this style of comedy was new, and then I got scared and I walked it back. But now <laughs> I want to, I want to dig. You mentioned the Laverne and Shirley thing, and it feels silly. There's the very silly thing where where Robert Patrick from Terminator 2, his oh, character yeah, that from was a year funny. earlier <laughs> in Terminator 2, just appears. Now, something like that. We've, like, jokes like that of just, like, random celebrity cameo for no reason. That had been on movie screens, you know, the uh, Kentucky Fried movie, like, kind of Zucker Brothers movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, like... The early like seventies SNL crew did stuff that much, like the movies that um, the initial SNL cast uh, became famous with. Um, they weren't that like you know uh, uh, f- like that kind of like fourth wall breaking. I'm trying to think of like how to how how you describe that joke. That like just kind of like postmodern kind of joke. Yes, I love it. Postmodern joke. Like those, the, like, I feel like the, the initial SNL cast movies, you know, your Animal House and stuff are much more about like attitude and uh, uh, fucking subverting the fucking snobs or whatever. Um, I mean, they're kind of essentially I, like the same ethic as this movie of like, you don't want to sell out. You don't want to be one of like the yuppies. You always kind of want to stick it to the man. I guess it's sort of like that, you know. Uh, what's it called? National Lampoon attitude, I suppose. Well, it's. I think. I think this movie is not really into. In, like, doesn't really have that attitude. I think this movie has. Uh, so, because like Wayne doesn't seem to really give a shit about selling out until the moment he does. But like, <laughs> we have. We have the one scene that I th- feel like gets gets uh, um, when people for whatever reason, show clips from this movie, the scene that they show a lot is the selling out scene. Mm-hmm. Um, where they're like, we're not going to sell out. And um, then, of course, they're they're decked in, you know, various corporate uh, logos and stuff, yada, 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 and the joke keeps going. And it feels exactly like a 30 Rock joke, because I'm pretty sure 30 Rock did, like, 30 different variations of that exact joke over yes. the run. But the thing is, like, something like... You you have a show like Thirty Rock. You have a um, movies about like like the Lonely Island doing like Hot Rod or something, a very similar thing. Um, and then you even have later Mike Myers movies where they take that kind of live action cartoon approach and they br- they start adding in more and more the pacing of a cartoon as well. But I wonder if when this movie came out, it it felt fresh enough that you didn't need to, you didn't need to like 
I don't know, just ha- like have it be as dense as maybe mm. some of those later movies were. Yeah. I, the one thing, we talked about So I Married an Axe Murderer. I watched, when I watched that a few years ago, I was shocked <laughs> by how boring and joke-free it was for huge chunks of the movie. And I know like Mike Myers also wrote that as well, right? Uh, yes, I believe he did. It is directed by the West Wing director, Thomas Shlamy. Yeah. I, so I don't know. I wonder if he was um coming into his own as a, a in that style of comedy, and because he and so many other comedians have taken it, taken taken that so far in the literal thirty years since this, that it just feels like I don't know any thirty year old comedy where you're like, boy, this is slow. Yeah. Like I remember when I was I I remember watching animal house as a kid oh my dad said it was so funny and i was like great boo why i feel like in this podcast before i have talked about how i only enjoyed uh animal house because it had boobs in it when i watched it at age 12 or whatever but um, i never enjoyed animal house i'm gonna go out and say it not a fan of that movie well that is a very generationally specific movie and i at times this is too look i really enjoyed the ending the fake endings okay let's do the scooby-doo ending let's do that yada yada I mean, that was basically clue but i guess i don't know that clue has a monopoly over that but i think i think it's different in that they were here's the various stupid ways we could end this movie it's that kind of like meta bad luck banging or loony porn your favorite movie yep yep (laughs) so i don't know i do I dislike? I I I'm gonna come out like with a very like odd response to that. I was nigh bored to tears this entire movie, and yet I don't have anything bad to say about it really because <laughs> I do think it's just something where this is not a comedy that has dated in offensiveness really at all. I mean, no. like it's it has some a few. A few odd race jokes, but they're very specifically, it's clear their heart is in the right place. <laughs> um, it is, it is, uh, b- anytime race comes up, it's I'll always either a white person putting their foot in their mouth, um, but not in a very malicious way. Like the odd thing where the first thing he says to her is everybody's kung fu fighting, and then he <laughs> makes a face. Um, and I was like, oh, it was a joke that he was accidentally racist, I guess. Um, or then they have a probably one of the slyest jokes in the movie uh, when they're talking about all the TV shows on the network. And one of them is called like the African-American Digest. Um, <laughs> and Brian Doyle Murray says, I- I've never seen that. And Rob Lowe looks just like, it's on very late. Like, just like, <laughs> it's like bar- I don't know, barely a joke. Just the network buries the one black show. But yeah. like, those are the only, so it's, other than those don't, don't didn't really age poorly. The Stacy jokes, we can talk about that. I'll, I'll we could go there next. But I think more than anything, it's just the pacing of this movie has aged poorly, and that is a thing that hits comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, I, since I don't have a ton of nostalgia for this movie, the pacing makes it a bit of a killer for me. No, that's fair. I think for me, it was like I was happy to. I guess, see the bits that I remembered liking as a kid. And that, like, that, or 
engendered enough of a goodwill for me to be like, yeah, this is a fun movie. I'll, like, I really, I did not suffer through it. I wasn't bored. It was 95 minutes. I At a certain point, I had to pause the movie and I was surprised that we're already at the end because it felt so quick, actually, to me. <laughs> like, it felt like it was moving fairly along. Maybe, like, the jokes weren't, like, always there, but, like, it felt like it didn't really have a ton of, like... I guess in terms of, like, storytelling, it felt like it was, like, all the beats were being hit, even though, like, questionable in how, in, like, what ways they were. I mean, especially, like, at the end where, like, you mentioned, like, there's no conflict. And then at the end, there's a bunch of it, but it's all, like, of the laziest variety. There's, like, a <laughs> fight that could be solved with a conversation. There's a fight where, like, because the, they have to have, like, Garth and Wayne fight, so they fight, and then like in the next scene, he just like comes over to him at the uh, at the donut place, and he's like, "We're friends again, sure, all right." So, <laughs> so it just felt oh, like they. Say... Oh no, go ahead. No, 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 you you finish. No, so it just felt like at the end, it felt like more perfunctory, which I guess they kind of commented on at the end with all the endings of just like, okay, we got to finish this movie. How can we do this? So like, let, let's show you like a bunch of endings we could have done. But I I would almost rather they did more like, yeah, I guess like maybe similar to how you feel. I would rather they did more jokes as opposed to like having to be beholden to like the plot structure that this movie is supposed to have because it's like, a certain genre and kind of movie so you have to expect like certain things to happen in it and it didn't do any sort of like subversion when it came to that at all except for the endings i guess yeah i mean you can have a comedy where the the plot is the most important part uh most frequently you have a comedy where the characters are the most important part and this has the you know, clear lack of interest in plot, that that's clearly not the focus. It clearly feels like this is a joke first comedy movie. So it just feels like it needed more comedies, but that might just be my modern sensibility. You're too cosmopolitan too and futuristic, John. Oh, too for... sophisticated. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did, what did you have to say I, about the Stacy uh, character? Well, it, it's just that, I mean, I feel like much like most comedies of pretty much any time, except for maybe the last few years, kind of give the short shrift to women in general. And I feel like this was no different. Like, the three women in this movie are a blonde woman who gets no lines and check me on this, that Garth is lusting over. Oh, the dream woman? Yeah. She like, says... I love you, Garth. At one point. Oh, is that like in the, the in the happy in the ultra happy ending? Oh, okay. All right. So she does that. So, hooray, win for women. Uh, there's the Tia Carrera uh, uh, character, who, I mean, I, I guess she passes the Bechdel test because she has no friends to talk to. But I feel like she's also just there to like be objectified by everyone for the most part and like the way that she is filmed with like all the cleavage and all that it felt like very her character was definitely very one note and then there's the stacy character who's like 
I mean, not that I need to know what what makes Stacy tick. Like that was not like the thing, but it's just like it felt like it felt like I needed to like know why this was happening. The fact that like this woman was like irrationally obsessed with Wayne for no reason that I can like really understand made none of the jokes land for me for her because I was like, why why is she doing this? I don't know that it's, is it funny that she does it or is it sad? And I don't know. I just mostly like felt bad for her for the most part. Uh, so yeah, I just, I mean, that's kind of like, I've kind of learned to make my peace with the fact that like ladies usually don't get to do a lot in these movies. But yeah, so it was kind of just more of the same, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a kind of, uh, I don't know if double-edged sword, that's probably not the expression I want to use, but it, it's it's the kind of thing where, uh, on one hand, she is a purely comedic character, and the actress is being allowed to give a purely comedic performance, which a lot of times you'll see, you know, uh, male-driven comedies where the women are all just joke-free shrews. Right. So she has, she is allowed to be given multiple physical comedy beats of her own and you know a lot of reaction shots that are just about her being funny they are all in service of the joke that she's a psycho bitch who's obsessed with the man <laughs> so right. you know it's it's you, you know you, you kind of get to choose how you want to take that um i mean yeah we, we yeah. baby steps <laughs> it's the kind of thing it's it's i i almost i can't even I don't know. Uh, that it, it it does stand out because like I said the movie is so good-natured. Like right. the only times where it's at all I mean they they play the mean prank on Brian Doyle Murray, uh Murphy, sorry. <laughs> I, <laughs> I know what his last name is. Um uh they play that prank on him, but like yeah, we've seen he he rips off uh kids. Um, of course, Wayne doesn't know that, but whatever. He he deserves some due diligence. Sure. Um, we do. Uh, the Rob Lowe gets his hilarious uh, comeuppance that he's um, sodomized by a police officer. Uh, <laughs> very '90s joke. But other than like those are the the meanest the movie gets. Other than Stacy. Other than that, it's just so aggressively good natured that. That, yeah, I think those jokes maybe stand out more than they might otherwise. Right. And there's nothing bad about good-natured comedy. I think that's actually, like, why I like these characters or have, like, such mm. fondness for them is that they're usually, like... I mean, the way that they're mean is usually, like, very juvenile. But even that is sort of, like... It's more like, oh, these guys are, like, goofballs and stuff. It's not, like, it's not coming from, like, a mean or bullying place. Which is, yeah, which is why, like, when they're so mean to Stacy and she is also, like, a crazy person, like, it definitely is kind of jarring. But, hey, you know, baby steps. We'll get bridesmaids 30 years later, so everything <laughs> will be okay. Um, I'll say one thing about, about the Mike Myers movies, because I was, you know, I was 12 when Austin Powers 2 came out, so I was... Right in the in in the uh, sweet spot to be a Mike Myers super fan, um, yeah. and 
the one thing I remember noticing when I watched So I Married an Axe Murderer for, I think, like, the first time, and then it was even weirder when I rewatch it as an adult, is that he reuses a few jokes in nearly every movie. Um, this is, I believe, the only movie where he doesn't do uh, his Scottish accent. That's true. But it's one of the three movies where he has a sequence where the female romantic interest is either lying on a couch oh, or a yes, bed. Oh, yes, that's true. Watching enraptured, just un- unable to stop laughing, frequently being distracted while she's on the phone uh, by the Mike Myers character performing physical comedy that is just so funny that she just can't even handle it. And <laughs> I have to, this has to be, from some very important moment in Mike Myers' life. This is this is the only one of the three where he doesn't do the man doing the escalator down the uh, behind <laughs> the couch that he does in both So I Married an Axe Murderer and the first Austin Powers. And hell, maybe the second. I don't know. But the I don't know what, what to say about this, but I just think there's there's something very it's a very interesting glimpse into this man's psyche that he put that he as a comedian <laughs> put that moment into three different movies where a beautiful woman is so in love with his silly physical comedy. (laughs) I wonder if it was like an ad for himself as a lover, you know, you know, hang, hang with me and poise coitally. I will make you laugh. (laughs) Look, he would not be the first uh, male screenwriter slash actor to write scenes in where a beautiful woman is super turned on by his shtick. Oh, of course. Um, course. It it is also, now that I think of it, it is kind of notable that I think it's also one of the only movies, well, A, where he does just one character. (laughs) So that's something. Mm. And also where there not fat jokes. I feel like another thing that he is kind mm. of like obsessed with to an extent is like fat jokes. The uh, Austin Powers movies do have a, a number of jokes uh, that are mean in a way that have aged poorly. Yeah. Um, uh, there is, oh God, I forget which one has a a, a, a pair of uh, Asian twins. Oh, Fook and You and just... Fook Me. That's in the third one i think actually yeah well that movie is terrible the whole way through except for the first the first opening montage which is excellent one of the most fun openings of any movie period i remember seeing that in the theaters (laughs) seeing that opening sequence with all those celebrity cameos the theater was dying oh yeah and then just the rest of the movie happened oh man (laughs) Yeah, I yeah, that's the one that I I used to love these movies too. And I feel like even the third one, I think maybe like I watched it once and I was like, okay, <laughs> like it can't be that bad. But like I never rewatch it. But I do like I've revisited the first two several times and I still mm-hmm. I still like them. I mean, obviously like as you said some things have not aged well and i never really liked fat bastard and i feel like he's in love with fat bastard and he loves doing fat bastard and i i i would be okay with him not being in any movie 
Are there what uh, other than fat bastard? What other what other big fat jokes does he? I'm trying to think of other ones. <sighs> I guess that's the first one that I, I have to. I have to admit, I've never seen the Love Guru, so I don't oh, know. Oh God, <laughs> I watched. So I actually interned at the production company that released Love Guru. So I got to see it at the Chinese theater, and it's in its blue carpet premiere. I don't know why the carpet was blue for that one, but it was clearly a choice, uh, and it was rough. It was rough. Uh, I, what was that like in the room? Uh, I, it was mostly awkward. I think like, mm. well, Justin Timberlake was there. He hung around. He was at the after party, but maybe it was just there. That was like one of his first roles. But he's the, like a hockey player with a big dick. That's his joke. Oh yeah, he's like a Canadian hockey player. I mean, the really the only <laughs> thing like, I remember his name was like huge Lecoq or something. Why do I know this? Yes. I might be wrong. What if I'm wrong and that's just a thing I made up? I mean, Huge Lecoq is probably on par with what his actual name is. So. But the only thing I remember from that movie vividly is the uh, the Ben Kingsley character that ha is cross-eyed, which is funny, uh, and teaches them... I forget what... I don't know if it's ever clear. I'm sure. I don't remember. But it is. <laughs> he uses buckets of urine to train them to do something. And so there are all these jokes about people who have like mops of urine, like swab against their faces or have like fall into buckets of urine. Uh, and that that felt icky at the time. And even now that I thing back on it seems very icky that's interesting because like the awesome powers movies starting really like really with the second one started moving more and more into gross out comedy yeah but that and that was just that was a hundred percent where the country was the like american mainstream comedy was going at the time but like there's no gross out stuff in this um so i married an axe murderer like i don't even think you see really any dead bodies yeah like, i don't remember you think a movie with that title would have a bunch of jokes were like oh i've got a cut off hand on my shoulder <laughs> um uh, uh uh justin timberlake's character in the love guru is named jacques lecoq grand wow so you were very close i was pretty close good job the love guru too <laughs> needs a needs a writer john well, I believe Austin Powers Four. They want to. We, we are we are recording this a couple weeks after uh, uh, the Austin Powers characters made their reappearance in a Super Bowl ad. Oh God, that was. Wasn't there a Wayne's World Super Bowl ad like two years ago? Yeah, for Uber Eats. <laughs> cool. Way to sell out, <laughs> Wayne. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like we've said more than enough about. Wayne's World, Wayne's World. Like this feels like our like sleepiest podcast ever, but I just finished the movie, and that's kind of how it made me feel. It's okay. We not all of them could have our signature high energy whiz bang rat a tat uh, style. Well, all right. Okay. So, oh, we gotta grade it. Oh yeah, we gotta grade it. All right. Well. Okay. Three, two, one. B. B minus? 
All right. Maintaining but our signature entirely, off by half. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it like, it's it's like, a, it's a C plus, but I wouldn't mind getting a beer with it. Like, that's how you feel about this <laughs> oh, movie. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a B minus in Illinois, but a C plus in New York City. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, cool, cool. Have you been watching anything else recently? Uh, well, I will. I will recommend the decline of Western civilization, the second one, which is the heavy metal one, because I think it is such a delight. It's such a funny movie, um, and if you have not seen it, please do because it's pretty great. Um, I don't know if it's available anywhere. It might be on like some canopy or arty like limited streaming platform, but it's worth seeking out. Uh, otherwise, I guess the last thing I saw was Death on the Nile, which I have not really thought about <laughs> since I've seen it. Uh, well, I would pause. say we. We we discussed maybe doing a catch up episode. Are we going to do that, or is this segment going to become catching up on? The, yeah, let's the just do the catch up now. All right, fuck it, Nile away. But I mean, I don't know that I have a ton to say other than. That's probably why we shouldn't do a catch up episode. Yeah, I think like this is enough. Uh, but I will say that I hate it when movies introduce more backstory to characters that we already know and are perfectly fine without having a backstory. Uh, I've heard about this. This one uh, has a very poignant opening about how Hercule Poirot got his mustache because uh, his girlfriend nurse saw his disfigured face after he served in the trench wars, wars of World War One. This is kind of a tongue twister. And she told him, well, it's nothing a mustache can hi can't hide, which is not true, by the way. <laughs> like, if you have severe scarring, the hair will not grow there. Uh, and also the movie... Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> like, uh, it, like, proceeds to ignore his scarring for the rest of the movie. Like, the I was, like, trying to really look at his face in the close-ups, like, of the rest of the movie to see if we can see any scars. And you can maybe slightly see something, but, like... He was disfigured to like two face levels in like the dark. <laughs> like I mean, like the scars that were there were deep. They were not as extensive as like two face, but they were very like deep. Uh, so I mean, that's that. I also think while I'm a big fan of the Hercule Poirot book series, I feel like those are very hard to adapt because they're so melodramatic, and this was kind of like a relatively like uh faithful adaptation of it so there's a lot of melodrama that isn't is not really doesn't really work with the way current movies are made mm. so it was kind of jarring to watch and sometimes also like kenneth Branagh made like poirot kind of a badass he like shoots a gun in the air for no reason at one point <laughs> and he did that in the previous one too uh, where, like, there he, like, chased someone out of a train and, like, beat them up or something. Um, so, anyway, I, I will keep watching these movies, but I will also say that they are probably, if you're not into them, you don't seek them out. Watch them on a plane or something. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. 
Um, well, this wasn't in the in the the two that I was going to talk about, but I, I have to mention. I don't even. I think this might have been number one at some point. Uh, I I watched. I finally watched Malignant last night. Ooh, um, was it true the, to its name? Uh, I don't even know what that would mean. Um, <laughs> I don't know uh, either. I think the question is: Was it true to the buzz that it's a crazy, uh, um, almost so bad it's so good, it's good uh, horror comedy? I like. I mean, people are kind of now selling it as like a drag me to hell style, like um, a horror director just going balls out, almost comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that it fully works that well. It might have been that I knew the twist ahead of time. Someone did spoil the twist for me, which actually made it more confusing because the movie's plot doesn't make sense and the twist <laughs> isn't really earned at all. But like, I don't know. I it wasn't while the the weird stuff was weird to me. There wasn't enough weirdness there. And also, like, if you're making your fun, you're like, because I do think James Wan was clearly tr- purposefully had his tongue firmly planted in cheek um if you're making your goofy horror comedy i don't need to see a scene where um the uh victim of domestic abuse uh wails over losing her baby um (laughs) uh like fun um they're just like tone problems also there's like a weird thing where they blame like all the evil over a 15 year old girl who was raped and impregnated they blame her for giving her kids away that's the movie kind of makes it seem like everything that happened pro-life stance i yeah well she has them i i i don't know it's it's just a it's a it's an odd thing um it seems like at some point in the script they wanted to make some comment on domestic abuse but i don't know the the silly stuff is silly there's just not enough of it uh, so it didn't really work for me. But the ones, the two that I want to talk about are Jackass Forever and Scream 2022. Um, Jackass Forever, I rewatched the whole series <laughs> beforehand. Uh, quick rundown, Jackass 1 does not really hold up that well. It is the closest to the TV show. They're not really realizing what works with the movies yet. Jackass number two is when it starts getting really good. Jackass three is great and has kind of the sentimentality of like what they thought would be kind of the ending. Jackass four is very much a passing of the torch movie. They really don't hit that sentimentality that much um, other than like a tribute to Ryan Dunn. Um, (laughs) But if you had, if you didn't see Jackass forever in a crowded theater, you fucked up. Um, It was so much fun. Uh, my only complaint about the movie, it was an absolute delight. They introduce some new jackasses, um, and for the most part, they're, they're very charming. Assets. That's my one complaint. <laughs> um, a woman, I believe her name is Rachel Wolfson, is the new female jackass. And um, having a female jackass there instantly makes every prank unique. It instantly changes the dynamic, and they barely use her. Yeah, She's a... Well- uh, Oh, no, I guess, like, my take on that is that most of the movies seem to be dick and balls themed, (laughs) so, (laughs) and it's kind of hard to, like, still, like, make a woman do that. (laughs) I think there were two, I think there were three problems. I think, one, she was clearly not on set as much as the other, uh, other guys. Like, she, you know, they're either, 
either you are the the jackass who's the star of the prank, the star, mm-hmm. so to speak, or you're one of the guys watching. And there's only like two where she's in the background watching. And it's really that presence that makes the the people feel like they're part of the group. And by not having her there that like in the background in more, it makes her feel more separate. And I think another issue is that um, the edit doesn't help her. Just the literal order of the pranks they put in, she is barely present in the first half of the movie. Then you get a few with her. If they had put one of those up earlier, it would have just made her seem more like a member of the group. Mm -hmm. And then third, I kind of feel like there is, like maybe they were a little uncomfortable or like they just didn't know how to come up with pranks for a female member. Because there is one of the funniest moments is I think Chris Pontius um having a very funny reaction which i i, I won't spoil it's an, an a completely uh organic spontaneous reference to <laughs> not wanting to make her uncomfortable in a way that's one of the funniest points of the movie but um uh, uh you've seen it right yeah i also wonder i agree with you and you know uh, you know the moment i'm talking yes, about yes, right yes. I found that and delightful. <laughs> but it, it also, I think, kind of bel- bel- like impl- like shows that maybe they did have a little discomfort coming up with stuff for a woman. I also wonder, so we didn't really stick around for like the after credits. They had like a little Q&A, uh, mm. a pre Oh, we did. It was very dumb. <laughs> uh, so, but I think the thing they mentioned there is that she's not yeah. a, a skateboarder or a stunt woman. She's a comedian. And so mm. I wonder if it's also just that limitation there. She might not be as comfortable. And I, by that, I don't mean unwilling. But I mean, like, she is more likely to get injured in the kind of stunts that they might be doing. Um, so, but I think it is, like you said, it's mostly probably like a creative thing or a lack mm. of creativity thing where they kind of like are set in so their brains are kind of wired to think up of very specific stunts and perhaps like she was not best suited for them. I, But uh, yeah, I feel like I did read some think pieces about how like, you know, jackass is like really like done women dirty by doing this or whatever, or like it's not feminist or something for not giving her a ton to do. Mm. I, I don't think, I feel like their heart was in the right place and I feel like they are oh, kind of yeah. like moving in that direction and they should just like be given time to maybe come up with like stuff that are maybe outside of their uh, yeah comfort zone i will say so this is entirely random but i've been watching this british game show called taskmaster mm-hmm. and the whole idea there is that you do like very dumb tasks that could be done in a very silly way and could be done in a straightforward way and there they are able to find kind of like a great balance where like the physicality like is so funny sometimes, even though it's not as I would say like as like intense as it could be with Jackass where like there's a danger of you getting hurt. But like still like the kind of stuff these people do is very funny when it's physical. So I don't know. Maybe next time they'll do something more similar to that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to be clear, I loved Jackass Forever. It's 
some of the most fun I've had in the past few years was watching that movie. Um, uh, and I loved the addition of the, the female jackass and um, I wish there was there was just more of it. I, I I let's give her the benefit of the doubt that she was game because she did do some things that I fucking wouldn't do. So <laughs> um, so she definitely seemed like she was game. I I hope that they can. I hope going forward they'll be better at at writing for her. You mm-hmm. know, uh, creating pranks for her, or she'll be maybe more comfortable coming up with ones for herself because. Having maybe it was just because I'd watched three Jackass movies in the week leading up to watching it, but just the moment there was a, a female performer in the mix, it just that was when this movie felt the most unique uh, compared to the others, and made me be like, "Oh, I am excited for the future of this," even as the um, you know beloved older guys uh, uh, start to retire and such. Um, Speaking of movies where I watched all the sequels leading up to it, and then they had a sequel that's all about passing the torch from the old cast to a new cast. Scream! 2022! Uh, You and I saw this together. Um, A lot of people have loved this movie. Sequel already greenlit. You and I were both fairly disappointed. Yes. Well, we are fans of the original franchise, (laughs) and maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah, I feel like we might have had, and I will allow you to kind of verbalize your opinion of it, but like, Mm -hmm. my main thing was like, it it felt like I did not care about any of the new characters, and there wasn't enough of the old characters, uh, so there wasn't much for me, you know, to... I guess, to keep me engaged with the movie because they all kind of, they had, yeah, it just, it just, to me, it wasn't clear what that movie wanted to be, I suppose. Like, it, like what is it parroting? I did not know. So the if there's no story with, with characters that I should care for and there's no clear, like, target for your satire or commentary, it just felt, like, kind of vacant. Um, but, yeah. I'll allow you to yeah. elaborate. <laughs> um, well, I first want to apologize. My for the last like five minutes, my hot water pipes have been clanging. Um, so, uh, if you want to try to edit that out later, Ronka, sorry about that. Oh, There'll no. be a bunch of banging while you were talking. So you weren't um, banging a woman while I was doing. Well, yeah, I was banging a woman scream. with my with my metallic penis. <laughs> I always had my, my hollow suspicions. metallic penis. <laughs> um, uh no. Um yeah, like you said, I think you and I both like this franchise most when it's a horror movie and the comedy is very clearly satiri- knows what it's satirizing. And this one does, but it is So, I rewatched the sequels and rewatching it, I I learned that I love Scream 4. I had not thought about that since I saw it in theaters in 2011. Scream 4 fucking rules. It is now so easily my second favorite in the series. Oh, wow. Scream 4 is very much using the idea of remakes. It's making fun of remakes, which were popular at the time, and also has come up with a way to use the meta text of remakes to satirize something about the culture. The way the characters in the original Scream were both making fun of horror tropes while also kind of, you know, mocking their kind of blasé attitude towards all the violence, yada, yada, yada. Um, The new one is 
a parody of toxic fan culture, which, while a very, you know, very, like, very much a relevant topic of now, is not really that relevant in the horror genre. Because this movie is mostly parodying the response to The Last Jedi, which <laughs> which is fine. It's fine. It's just like, I think I'm, I'm just disappointed because right now there is the biggest shift in horror since Scream shifted it itself. Like there was the remake trend. There were also like, the 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 you know the J horror trends and the torture porn trends and I'm not a, entirely sure that the Scream franchise would have been good at parodying those maybe the the torture porn genre a little um, but the past few years this uh, um, kind of art house horror uh, the new movie calls it elevated horror they spend the first few minutes of this movie talking about that but they really don't parody the tropes of that at all. Like, we walked out and I said I would have loved it if this movie started looking like it was a fucking Robert Eggers movie or something. Mm-hmm. Like, it was an A24 horror film and then gradually was introducing more and more familiar Scream elements. Um, the way that the first Scream looks and feels like a parody of the movies it's parodying. This movie looks and feels just like Scream. So... I don't know. That that made me a little disappointed. But I guess the most important thing is uh, I rewatched Scream 4 and Scream 4 fucking rules. Hayden Penetier, great. Emma Roberts, great. Scream 4 is great. I mean, I will always say that Scream 3 is the best number two <laughs> of that series. I am a big fan of Scream 3. Please check out Scream 3. Vote for it in your next Scream election. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, those are the number ones. I also saw Nightmare Alley. I loved the first half, didn't really like the second half. Okay, there we go. I saw <laughs> the, my Tinder swin- the Tinder swindler because everyone else did. And I didn't. It was fine. <laughs> it was fine. Uh, I felt like I was part of the conversation. <laughs> oh, and you and I saw Moonfall. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I. To bring it back to something I said earlier, if you're going to get high and want to watch a So Bad It's Good movie, Malignant is fine. You'll do better with Moonfall. Moonfall was an amazing near-religious experience for me. <laughs> and I feel like I, I, I will struggle very hard to replicate such experience for a while. Moonfall is bad in, fun, in a new funny way every 30 seconds. <laughs> Malignance, goofy, tongue, whatever you want to call it, so bad it's good moments are too spread apart. Um, all I'll say about Moonfall is that the movie, when it ends, it cuts to credits, and the credits are a bizarre pop song, a, a love song that has <laughs> nothing to do with the movie. And I was like, oh my God. I shazammed it in the theater and I said, this must be like a famous Chinese pop singer that they have in here for the Chinese market because the movie's half produ- uh, uh, produced by um, Independently the Chinese produ- company Tencent. Well, it's it's it have have finance, not produced. Yes, uh, financed by a bunch of um, money from China. So I was sure that this was a famous Chinese pop singer. Wrong. <laughs> The uh, one of the characters is a famous Chinese pop singer. The woman who sang this song 
is the daughter of the screenwriter and producer. <laughs> <laughs> so nepotism. So that's is why there is a completely unrelated love song at the end of Moonfall. Uh, I also love that we're all part of the moon now, and that's great. Uh, all right. Well, Veronica, what are we doing next? Next, I believe, will be in two weeks, and we will be talking about the laugh ride that is sure to be the Batman. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. You think I mean, that'll be I, one? I would imagine this would you're, be you're... number one, but this is, you know. You feel safe with that guess? <laughs> feel fairly safe with that guess do you do you think uh uncharted is gonna oh no i'm i'm absolutely joking there's no way we won't be (laughs) if we do an episode in two weeks it will be batman not if when john we will we will we will adhere to a schedule for at least a few months (laughs) hopefully riddle me this riddle me that what if this bat wasn't that different from the last few bats that we've been eating for 15 years? Okay, we'll talk about that next time. Maybe we'll love it. You never know. Yeah, maybe. I do love Robert Pattinson. So, you know, he's good. And yeah. Paul Dano. I love Paul Dano. Yeah. I love Colin Farrell's makeup person. Yes, all great <laughs> people. <laughs> All right, this episode's going long, and now we're talking about a movie we haven't seen yet. So why don't we wrap up there? Toot toot, Veronica. Toot toot, right back at you, John. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Hey, Veronica, I know the episode's done, but I just looked, and this is, uh, we just realized that it's our 50th episode, and we didn't say anything. Oh, no, that's exciting. All right, so um, for the people who kept listening to the very, very end of this episode, uh, what should we say uh, to honor our 50th episode? Uh, Thank you so much, dear listener. There will be 50 more, and that's a threat. (laughs) (laughs) Worked for me. See you at 100. (laughs)